My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. And this morning, we're starting into a series on prayer. And everybody has very different ideas about prayer and how it should go and how it shouldn't go. So just as we begin, I want you to have a look at this video and see maybe if you recognize maybe yourself a little bit in some of these clips. I laugh every time I see something like that. But as silly as some of those things are, sometimes I find myself doing them. Sometimes you might find yourself kind of caught in some of those uh, maybe prayer faux pas. But it does bring up a good question. And that is, is there a wrong way to pray? Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus actually gives two examples of how not to pray. They don't really mirror the ones in that video, but they are fairly clear in terms of things that Jesus says we should not do when we're praying, but that sometimes we can fall into. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, Jesus is saying uh, to people who are asking him questions about prayer, and he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues, the gathering places where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward that they are ever going to get. When you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, pray to your father in private, and then your father who sees everything will reward you. So there is a wrong way to pray, and the first wrong way that Jesus says, that you would go about praying that wouldn't be helpful would be praying for the purpose of getting public attention or acclaim. If your purpose in praying is to get the attention of other people and not God, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> because you might even be saying great and flowery things and really impressive words, but if your attention your, Im your heart is to get the acclaim of people and get their attention. That's not how you're supposed to be praying. Because on top of that, Jesus says that God wants to actually give you a reward when you pray for coming to Him. And you're going to get cheated out of that. So that's a wrong way to pray. Second wrong way to pray that Jesus goes into right away in Matthew chapter 6 is in verse 7 and verse 8. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on like people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. Your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So the second wrong way to pray is by just praying by vain or rem empty repetition, just saying the same stuff over and over and over again. The belief that by repeating words and repeating them regularly, consistently, or some right sequence or tone of voice that you can force God to answer your prayers. Some of you are parents of teenagers, and you might actually recognize this tactic, that kids sometimes try to overwhelm you, surely by the volume of words and information coming at you. And if you're trying to get God's attention by simply repeating something over and 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 over again, it isn't going to work. Jesus says that's not the way that you can approach God in prayer. 
So if that's the bad news or the two wrong ways to pray, what helpful instruction does Jesus actually give us about prayer in the conversation in Matthew chapter 6? Is there a right way to pray or to go about thinking about prayer? And Jesus actually describes for us in Matthew chapter 6, your very helpful answer to that question. Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, Jesus says, pray like this. So he has an idea or a picture in his mind that he's trying to communicate to us about prayer. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Jesus says, when people come to him and ask him about prayer, yeah, yeah, I do have a, a way you should think about prayer. Pray like this. And what follows is perhaps the most well-known prayer in all of history. We've come to call it the Lord's Prayer. There's only 60-something words in it, seven phrases. It's kind of simple in some ways, but it's profoundly comprehensive in terms of the way in which it helps us understand how to think about and go about praying. It explores how to approach God, what to ask for, barriers we might encounter in prayer. And so we're going to dive in this season and explore this together, phrase by phrase, week by week. And we hope you'll join us on this exciting journey. And we hope that each of us will grow in our ability and capacity and understanding and passion as we pray and engage in conversation with God. So let's just uh, take a minute and pause and pray as we begin teaching this morning. God, we do thank you that you didn't leave the question of prayer unanswered for us, that we have to guess somehow at how to go about doing it. And so, God, we come to you and in this season ask that you would shape and grow our hearts in increasing ways that we would come to know you as we come to grow in prayer and in a conversation with you. And so we ask this in full confidence that that's something that you would desire, a deeper relationship with us and a deeper conversation in prayer. And so we ask it in confidence and faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know what your experience with prayer is like. Uh, when I was growing up and my family uh, went back to church, I began to listen to how people at that particular church prayed. And it was slightly confusing to me because everybody began their prayers slightly differently. Some would begin by praying to God. Some would begin by praying to Jesus. Some would pray to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people would just bust right into it. Other times people would have very, very flowery language that they would use. And you'd be in a normal conversation with them. And then suddenly you'd go to prayer and their voice would change and get all weird. And they would say things like, Oh, Lordeth. We cometh, Godeth, before thy throneth, and asketh that in thy beatitudeneth mercy. And as a kid, I would think, what just happened to so-and-so? They were quite normal just a minute ago, and something has come over them, 
And they had like a prayer voice that they would use. And as a kid, I didn't really have any sophisticated way of thinking about prayer. It was just more like, dear God, it's me, Brad, as if God might have forgotten somehow about who was talking to him since the last time I had talked to him. But it's a good question to wrestle with. Like, how do we go about praying and thinking about prayer? And Jesus' followers, people that were with him, actually came to him and asked him, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Teach us about prayer. Which, when you think about it, is quite fascinating. Of all of the things that they could have asked Jesus about to give them a class in, you know, he could have asked him, Jesus, could you teach us about how to perform the miraculous signs and wonders that you do. Jesus, could you teach us about preaching and answering tricky questions when the Pharisees come and try and trick you? Of all the things that they could have asked him, they said, Jesus, could you please teach us how to pray? And Jesus graciously answers that request. And when he starts giving his class on prayer, he says, when you pray, pray like this. Start your prayers in this way, our Father in heaven. Now, you guys know me, things I like to say. So don't hear what I am not saying. And what I am not saying is that Jesus here in laying out for us a pattern of prayer is telling us that if you don't say this exact phrase in this way, that you're not going to get God's attention in some way. Remember, Jesus just tore that idea down, that by either through vain repetition or through some kind of special posturing, you could get God's attention. So when we think about the Lord's Prayer or our Father in heaven, the first thing we need to understand is it's not a formula that Jesus is giving. It's more like a pattern. It's not a mantra for us just to repeat over and over and over again in an empty way. It's more like a model that Jesus is laying out here for us. He's creating some architecture for us to help understand what are the things that we would want to be thinking about when we engage in the process of talking to God in prayer. So Jesus is not saying here that if you do not begin every prayer with the phrase, Our Father in heaven, somehow God It has missed his attention and doesn't get on his radar. This is simply to say that Jesus is giving us a unique insight into a prayer pattern that we would do well to pay attention to because Jesus is giving us insight into the heart and the character of God. And Jesus is uniquely positioned to do that and to think about how to help us approach God as the second person in the Trinity, without being irreverent, we can safely say, if anyone knows the right way to approach God in prayer, it's going to be Jesus. And so we might want to pay attention to how he's teaching us to pray and model our own prayers in some extent after his example. Because Jesus understands something here about prayer and about a conversation with God. And that is that what we believe about God is profoundly important to how we pray. Our beliefs about God impact and affect every single part of our conversation with God. So if, for example, 
you say, well, I don't believe that God is real, you're likely not to waste any time to talk to Him in prayer. If you believe, for example, that God is distant and uninterested in what's going on in the world and isn't interested in problems because your problems because he's got bigger things to deal with like mass shootings in airports or world peace, then you're not likely to think about, oh, I'm just bothering God with my requests and small concerns. If you believe, for example, that God somehow can only be approached when you've got everything all together, and then you can convince Him of the merits of your request based on your good behavior, then you're likely to not ever start a conversation with Him. What we believe about God impacts every part of our conversation with Him. And if we think about it, this actually isn't really unique just to prayer. Because think about, if you're married, your relationship with your spouse. What you believe about, the conver- about your spouse is going to impact every part of your conversation with them. If you believe that they're interested in listening to what you have to say, then you'll engage with them in that way. And when it comes to prayer, one of the first things then that we need to ask ourselves is, what do I believe to be true about God? What is God like? What do I believe to be true about God? Because one of the things that we see in Jesus is that Jesus believed that God was knowable and approachable and that a conversation with Him in prayer was possible. Not just for super-Christians, not just for people who know the right words or do the right Bible reading plan. Jesus believed and modeled for us that anyone who exercised the faith to approach God honestly was doing it right, if we wanted to use that phrase to talk about and think about prayer. And that's why I think Jesus reminds us or invites us to pray using the term Father or our Father. Now, there's, there's multiple and deep and rich dimensions to thinking about God as a Father or our Father. But one of the things just to take on face value is the fact that the term Father is an intensely relational term. And it's actually reserved for those whom you're in intense relational proximity with. Think of it this way. Of all the people in the world that I know, and whatever they choose to call me, a whole swath of them can call me Brad. My mother and the airlines and official documents still call me Brad Lee. But only two people in the world actually call me Father. There's an, there's an intimacy, there's a, there's a narrowness to that term. You have a unique and privileged relationship with those that you call father. And that relationship is on the basis of some connection that you have. See, when my kids call me dad, that gets my attention. I like the way that uh, Katie was telling us about uh, John Smed, who's coming to do training with us in the end 
of September 21st. I love the way he puts it in this book, Seven Days of Prayer with Jesus. And this is the uh, book that you'd get if you came, and it's a great little small group study that you might want to think about clearing some calendar space and getting engaged with a small group. John says it this way, Jesus opens the doors to heaven when he permits us to address God as our Father. Although there's 72 names for God in the Old Testament and many more in the New Testament, every time Jesus addresses God, he calls him Father. In the Sermon on the Mount, in the chapter before this, the word Father appears 17 times just in that short little teaching. In the Gospels, it appears more than 70 times. Jesus is signaling something to us here. And the shocking thing for us to consider, when Jesus starts answering the question, how should we pray? He says, pray like this. You start by approaching God as you would approach a loving and perfect Father. And you don't do this because of how awesome you are and what you have done or that you have it all together and figured out. No. See, the only reason that you and I have been given this privilege of coming and approaching God as the Father is because when you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you move into a new relationship with God. You are adopted into His family. You're no longer a slave to fear or to shame or subject to judgment. When you take a step of faith and you say yes to God, yes to Jesus, your adoption is secured into his family, and you are loved and known as a member of God's own family. You have brothers and sisters who share a common heavenly father who loves you. See, writing in the book of Galatians, Paul says and explains this process of adoption to people. And he says, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 4, God has adopted us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, to cry out, Abba, Father, which is an incredibly intimate term of endearment. You are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. See, understanding your relationship with God, where you stand with God, this positional reality is the key and it's the foundation to all effective prayer. Because when you become a child of God, you don't need to plead or grovel and try and kind of work your way into God's good books to get His attention. You don't have to shape up Keep your New Year's resolutions for more than the first week of 2017. Become a better person so that God will listen to you more. As an adopted son or as an adopted daughter, you have the positional privilege to come into his presence and say, Dad, it's me. Yep, I've screwed up again. Please forgive me. Or God, I want to thank you for your incredible love for me as your child. You see, when you pray as an adopted child of a loving father, you pray completely differently than you would as an orphan. When someone's a part of your family, you have a different relationship with them. 
There's a proximity. There's a boldness that comes. There's a love that's shared that allows you to have a very different type of conversation. And that's why I think Jesus invites us to begin our prayers here. By reminding ourselves of the truth of our adoption into God's family as a son or as a daughter. It's a privilege, an awesome privilege. So the first phrase of the prayer, of the pray like this prayer, is our Father. But the second phrase, in heaven, helps us also understand and start into a posture of prayer with the right, right perspective. Because sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit too casual when I'm talking to God. Well, if I'm a son or a daughter of God, I can just come right into His presence and be my fully authentic self and say whatever I want, can't I? Well, you might do that with your earthly father, but why might it matter if God says, approach, if Jesus says rather, approach Him as our Father in heaven? Think about it this way. I suffer from a condition known as myopia. Now, myopia is where the light coming into my retina, and if you have glasses uh, of a certain type, then this will be for you too, that the light focuses on the front of and not actually on the retina. And this causes things that are far away to be blurry. So if I take my glasses off, I can't see any of you very well or what's going on, because things that are far away are blurry. Now, things that are close up, I can still see okay. But this is myopia. That's why I wear glasses, because I'm nearsighted. But I find for me that myopia actually sometimes impacts my prayer life, and my prayers are actually sometimes quite myopic. And what I mean by that is, a lot of times when I pray, I pray about things that are right in front of me, because I can see them quite clearly. And so, God, I thank you for this food. I thank you for this day. Please help so-and-so. Please help so-and-so. And amen, I think we're done here. One of the patterns that I notice if I pay attention to some of my own bad habits in prayer is how often I am focused on the stuff that is right in front of me because I can see it clearly. And it seems very big to me, whereas other things are fuzzier. Author and speaker Philip Yancey wrote a book a number of years back, which has been helpful for me. It's called Prayer, Does It Make Any Difference? And he asks and answers some really good questions about prayer in that book. And in the book, Yancey's talking about the way in which we approach God in prayer. And he realizes the power of acknowledging the reality that God is in heaven, that place of radiant perfection and power where we're going to see later in the pray like this prayer, that God's will is perfectly accomplished. And Yancey began to, to actually shift his prayer practice and begin his prayers by reminding himself, okay, I'm going to pray now and actually begin to picture what it might be like to approach God in heaven. And it helped him bring some corrective lenses to his view on prayer. He says this in the book, prayer helps correct myopia, calling to mind a perspective that I daily forget because I keep reversing roles. When I pray, I think about the ways in which God could serve me rather than vice versa. And prayer raises my sights 
beyond the petty circumstances of life to afford a glimpse of that lofty perspective. I realize my tininess and God's vastness and the true relation of the two. In God's presence, I feel small because I am small. You see, when we pray out of that place, that place that acknowledges God as sovereign king and Lord and ruler, the one with all majesty and authority at his hand and his disposal, the one for whom nothing is too difficult, we raise our sights beyond the petty and remind ourselves again that when we're praying, we are so privileged to walk right into the throne room and we are invited to do it boldly. But it is a throne room where the King and Kings and Lord of Lords above everyone and everything is exalted. When you and I pray, we are in a conversation with the one who says the whole earth is like a footstool to him. He's a glorious king surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 of angelic hosts. Our father is in heaven. He is a heavenly father. Right now, Meg and I are watching a dramatic series about Queen Elizabeth and the British monarchy called The Crown on Netflix. And I find myself being quite impressed with the level of pomp and circumstance that accompanies royalty everywhere that they go. And yet, when I was reading over Yancey's quote again, I thought, you know what? Just take all of that pomp and circumstance, multiply it by 10,000 times 10,000, and it doesn't even begin to hold a candle to the incredible majesty and authority that resides with God in the heavenly realms as king. The radiance of Jesus and the majesty of our Father in heaven who said all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. And so when you and I pray, when we have a conversation with God who is our Father and who is in heaven, we are immediately immersed in this wonderful and mysterious tension. And that is to say, when we turn our hearts and our thoughts and our words to prayer, we are immediately faced with two different but both equally true realities. That yes, we are addressing our Father on the one hand. And so we are His adopted children and we can approach freely and easily and boldly and confidently and yet equally and concurrently true, we are approaching God who is in heaven. And so, on one hand, we are His adopted children. On the other hand, God is the King of the universe, clothed in splendor and majesty and power. And right now, as we have this conversation, He is ruling and sustaining everything that exists. And so, every time we say, God, I'm here for a conversation with you. And we pray we're living and walking into this incredible tension. The capacity for both of these things to be true can be profoundly helpful in shaping and stirring our prayers because it helps us give a boldly appropriate sense of confidence, but also a deep humility and faith. 
And nowhere is this dialectic actually more pronounced than at the cross. This is the place where God himself paid the ultimate price to adopt us into his family. This is the place where our heavenly father demonstrated that love for you and for me. The place where a way was opened up permission was given for us to call God our heavenly father and boldly come into his throne room and find help in time of need. Today, we're going to celebrate communion together. And this is a time not only for remembering, because the bread helps us remember Christ's body that was broken for us. And the cup helps us remember and celebrate his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. But communion is also a time for helping us remember and live in this tension as to how we approach God in prayer. That we come with great boldness and confidence because of what Jesus has done. And yet we are coming and approaching the God who created everything that is. And so for you today, one of the questions to wrestle with as we begin to think about and talk about prayer is, are there areas on the, in that tension that you have a hard time living with? Maybe you're here today and you've actually not had a loving and healthy relationship with your earthly father. And so anytime somebody says anything like, our Father in heaven, or call God our Father, approach Him as a Father, you can't think of a time when that was warm and wonderfully true for you. That's become a barrier for you to engage with your Father in heaven. And maybe today is a day when you can begin to continue to receive some of the love that your heavenly Father wants to pour out into your heart of healing. Maybe today is a day when you need to shed some of that baggage and actually invite God to remind you that He is a loving, heavenly Father. That every earthly father will disappoint, and maybe yours you feel more than others and let us down, but that God is a perfect Father who you can trust and who loves you deeply and completely. Maybe for you today, you come, and as you think about talking to God, you just think, every time I get into talking with God, I just have a list of stuff that is right in front of me. Maybe today you need to lift up your eyes beyond the things that are right in front of you and be reminded again of the power and the majesty and the beauty of who God is. And so maybe as you come to the communion table, you need to invite God to remind you of all of the wonderful and majestic and powerful things that he has done. Not just for you, but the grandeur of the depth and the beauty and the height of his full love for the world. Maybe today in your life, you're facing a situation that you just think, this is so complex, this is never going to get solved. It's completely intractable. There's nothing that anyone can do about this. And maybe today for you, you need to lift up your eyes and pray a simple prayer and say, God, I need to see more of your majesty in my life. I need to see more of who you are. That you are the God who loves me and who rules the universe and reigns over all. And I have lost faith and confidence and trust in your power. Would you increase my faith? Would you step into this situation in my life, in my home, in my family, in this world in a fresh way? Maybe today you've actually never trusted God 
and prayed a prayer that moves you from that place of being an orphan to being a part of his family, an adopted child of God. That prayer changes everything, absolutely everything. And it is not because of what you do that somehow you've worked up some kind of magical formula to convince God to adopt you into his family. It is all because of what Christ has done and his work on the cross to make a way for you and all who trust in him to be part of God's forever family. And that's the most profound and and simple and yet life-changing prayer that you can ever, ever utter is come to God and say, God, I believe. I want to be part of your family. And if that's you today, as the team's going to come and lead us in a couple of songs that remind us of that truth, we have people that would love to pray with you. Pastor Wally and Sylvia are available at the back, and Gary and Betty Stevenson are available just over at this side. I'll be available here. We would love to pray with you in whatever and stand with you in whatever it is that you would want to talk to God about. Maybe as others are making their way to the communion table, you need to take just a few moments in your seat and just spend time praying and reflecting and asking God to continue to shape you and lead you into deeper places of prayer and relationship with Him in this new year. Maybe you need to take time to just celebrate and say, God, I thank you for the things that you have done and are doing. And Ron and Caitlin and the team will lead us in two songs of response And so there's time for you to come. Communion here at Jericho Ridge is served at the two tables. And so whenever you feel that you're ready, you can just make your way over there and take the bread and take the cup. There's a gluten-free option. And you can then make your way back to your seat and participate in communion there. And you can spend time praying and engaging with God. Stand or sit as you feel that you're able as we continue in worship.